1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA, member FDIC. Good afternoon, Celtics fans, and welcome to another episode of CLNS Radio Celtics Beat. I'm your host, Rich Conti, and I'm joined today by my co-host and executive producer of Celtics Beat, Larry H. Russell. In a little while, Larry and I will be joined by a very special guest on Celtics Beat. We're really fortunate to have Celtics President Rich Gotham as our guest today. How excited are you for today's show, Larry?
0: Very excited. Rich has done a phenomenal job as president of the team. It's a very honorable uh, title for him to have. He's the only president in team history not named Red Auerbach. I believe he took over the post, I think, in 2007, a little bit after Red passed on. He's done a great job going to Celtics games over these past few years. I'm not talking about when the team had KG, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and they were competing for championships every year. Obviously, that was a great time, but there have been some lean years in there, last year obviously, and I believe the first two years of Rich's tenure weren't exactly the most exciting Celtics teams with Sebastian Telfair and Gerald Green. But the experience of Celtics' games have been great. Rich has had his fingerprint over all of that. So we're going to speak to be Richard, about that and a little bit, obviously, about the state of the team and the league itself.
1: Yeah, and before we get into today's episode, listeners have probably noticed that you can find Celtics Beat Podcasts at a new location. CLNS Radio has switched all podcasts over to a new service that will provide you with improved production quality. As an added bonus, all Celtics Beat and other CLNS Radio podcasts can be found on iTunes and Stitcher. Please visit our iTunes and Stitcher pages... Subscribe, give us a rating and a review to let us know what you think. I also want to mention that we have another special guest on next week's episode when I'm joined by former Boston Globe sports writer Bob Ryan to talk about the 1973 Celtics and the missing banner. Well, Larry, training camp is nearing and the Celtics have signed a couple of undrafted free agents this week to add to their camp roster. Are Agent Stevens looking to create a really competitive atmosphere in camp? And and what does that mean for the team's development?
0: Well, the, it's interesting. I'm not sure if there's many quote-unquote bubble players on the roster. I know Chris Johnson and Chris Bab are just based on the fact that they have contracts that aren't guaranteed. So there's obviously going to be players competing for roles on the roster or spots on the roster as there are with any teams, not just in the NBA, but in sports. But yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I'd love to say I know everything about these players. I don't. I know nothing about these players that they just signed. But I think going into this this season you're right this team's going to take this season a little more seriously than they did last well they did they took last season very seriously but i think this year they're going to have more of a set rotation and competing for these roster spots and even competing for a spot in stevens's hopefully maybe 8 or 9 man rotation is going to be a little more important for lack of the better word than it was last year, where as opposed to last year, it was so sort of they were trying guys out, they were trying guys in certain spots, we're looking at Solinger at the five, Kelly Olenek off the bench, Kelly Olenek starting, the issue with point guard, with Rondo being out, now he's back. Now I think you're going to see more of a program. So with, these, with regards to these players coming into camp, I think that's just the case of, okay, let's see what we have. Do these guys have anything? Can we find the next Adrian Griffin, the next Bruce Bowen, any of these guys? Odds are you aren't, but who knows? But I think going into this season, I think this team is going to be maybe not the most competitive team on the court, but the environment is going to be far more competitive. And that's very important for a young team. That's important for any team, but especially for a young team looking to grow.
1: Yeah, I love the uh, Adrian Griffin shout out, but I agree with you completely. You know, there's the the danger of bringing a bunch of young guys together that, you know, especially, you know, as they get into their second and third years in the league, that they kind of get get comfortable that they've kind of earned their keep and, and they're, you know, maybe coast a little bit and don't kind of bring it in practice the way that a developing team does. And so I think by trying to create this really competitive atmosphere in camp and bringing guys that, you know, may not be real competition for an actual roster, spot but are going to go out there and actually push these guys in training camp and kind of get that that that, that edge and in, in, into some of the uh, the practice sessions and and the scrimmages i think will be really really important for this team going forward and you know i, I think i do expect some of the you know kind of roster uh, bloat if you will to be ironed out over the next couple of weeks i know uh, um that um Turner actually hasn't signed a, a deal yet with them even though it's you know apparently been agreed to so you know there's some question out there are the Celtics involved in some other deal we heard some chatter about them potentially being involved as a third team to take on some te- um, salary to make the the Kevin Love to the Cavaliers deal work and maybe Keith Bogans is part of that you've got the non-guaranteed guys out there in Babb and Johnson and I believe Pressey you know kind of waiting to see you know what the the future holds for them so I expect some of that roster bloat to be pared down Uh, but I think you know they they still expect to go into camp with probably 15 to 18 guys out there you know really battling and I think you know in the past Stevens has talked about the importance of being you know one of the best conditioned teams in the league and that's something that you know really is a hallmark of the Spurs success over the you know the past um, you know decade or so and I think Stevens wants to try to recreate that and one of the ways you do that is by having bodies in camp so you can really catch to go at it, uh, you know, for longer stretches. So, you know, I think it should be an interesting training camp. And, um, you know, there's still maybe some moves to be made between now and then. Yeah, I think you
0: nailed it right on the head. Uh, I hate to say we agree, but obviously it doesn't make for the best radio or base, best podcasting. But yes, uh, we, ab- we absolutely nailed it. I think that this team is going to be a little more just competitive, not just, on you know, on the court, but obviously off the television as well and practices, and like I said, you know, not to just sort of hammer this point home, but that's what this franchise needs. This, they can't go into the season with another quote-unquote tank year or another quote-unquote quote unquote experiment year where they experiment certain guys in certain spots. It needs to be 12 guys fighting for every second of playing time, fighting for every dollar they can make on a contract for being on a roster. And I think you're right, going into camp – with a lot of players, with a lot of players that are sort of close together talent-wise, I think if you look at this roster, it's the pyramid at the top isn't really, it's not, you have Rondo, and obviously God knows what's going to happen to Rondo over these next, oh, 10 months or whatever. But other than that, all these players are fairly close to each other talent-wise. So like you said, you don't want all these guys getting comfortable and when they get that first contract. So you want them all competing against each other. That, obviously, that brings out the best in each other. Survival
1: survival of the fittest. Who do you think uh, has the most to really prove this training camp? I think, for me, it's Jared Sullinger. You know, his name has been talked about sometimes as a possible centerpiece, other times as a centerpiece for a deal going forward. Um, you know, there has been question about his his conditioning in the in the past you know he kind of got a little bit of a pass uh you know coming off the injury but I think it's really make or break time for his NBA future right now and I think if he you know has a really strong showing in training camp he can really solidify himself as kind of really one of the centerpieces of the rebuilding effort going forward and at the same time maybe make himself a little bit more marketable so the next time kind of a Kevin Love situation comes about you know he is you know an attractive centerpiece to a deal
0: it's absolutely Jared Sollinger. I don't think there's any question about it. We all know, I know we love to talk about Rondo. Everybody likes to criticize Rondo. Everybody likes to praise Rondo. But we know what Rondo is right now. He's been in the league long enough. He's got his contract. We know who he is. Jared Sollinger, you're right. Is he going to be this next Al Jefferson type, but the sellers could be able to package him in a deal? Minnesota said, I mean, they liked him. We, I believe it was, you guys talked to Jerry Zagoda on one of the prior shows. They said they liked Jared Sollinger, but as a centerpiece, no way, not for Kevin Love. He got a free pass last year. He had the back injury. Apparently now that's all set. He was fairly healthy last season. He had some minor injuries, but he's been fairly healthy. But weight has now been an issue for a few years now. He's been in the NBA. It's put up or shut up. I, I, I really expect him to be in camp in a far better condition. Even though there's been some images out here of him not being in the best of shape, being in good enough, but good enough doesn't get it done in the NBA. If you want to be a great player, you can't be another David Wells because Jared Sollinger, I'm sorry, you can't throw a curveball. You're out there playing 30 five minutes a game with high-intensity sprints up and down the court and jumping up and down trying to get basketballs. So, Jared, I, this is it. I mean, I, I'd love to see him get in great shape. Who knows if he will? I think he, he has the God-given talent. He's got the footwork. He's got the mind. He's got a great basketball IQ. It's just a question of do you want to do the basics? Do you want to just put your head down, get up in the morning, go to the gym, bang out 50 minute cardio sessions, high intensity se- sessions, put on some good weight, lose some body fat, gain some muscle and really take his game to the next level and be, be- become like, you know, I mean 18 and 9 guy or a borderline all-star guy where you know he, he can be a centerpiece of a trade or even a key player on a very good team, no less, you know, second or, th- or even third best player as, you know, a good, you know, good rebounder. And then obviously he has very good skills as a passer and a post player at the power forward spot.
1: I kind of see him potentially in that Paul Silas uh, mold. And, you know, we'll be talking with Bob Ryan next week about that 73 team and Silas was such a huge addition to that. You know, the other guy that I think has a lot to prove in training camp is Rondo. You know, there's obviously been a lot of controversy around him. And, you know, honestly, it's in his hands. He can put a lot of it to rest in training camp in the early early part of the season in terms of how he carries himself off the court and around the team, but also kind of what he does on the court and the role he plays in in is he able to kind of elevate the play of players around him as he has been able to do in the past or is it going to be you know kind of similar to the end of last season where you know he was really kind of struggling to work his way back from the injury and kind of fit into the team dynamic so I think he's got a lot to prove as well
0: I mean I think it's a little different with Rondo Rich you know I know what I'm going to see with Rondo I've seen enough of him over since 2006 I think you know the best case scenario is what we saw in the 2012 playoffs, and the worst case scenario is what we saw last year. So I, I don't think that he has much to prove. I think he got Solinger. I ex- kind of expect Olenek to make a step, but I don't see Olenek as like this great player. I think best case scenario is solid role player on a good team, which I think he's going to do. I like the kid a lot. And then after that, I think you just sort of have everything's just sort of thrown in there itself. But I think you nailed him in the head. Solinger's the guy.
1: Well, it's time to bring in our special guest on today's Celtics Beat. We're extremely fortunate to be joined by Celtics President Rich Gotham. Our interview with Rich is brought to you by the Patriots Beat Podcast. Patriots fans, training camp is here, and the Patriots Beat Podcast has you covered. Live on the scene at Foxborough for training camp. Tune in every Sundays at one p.m. on CLNS Radio. Well, how are you today, Rich? I am doing
2: great, guys. Beautiful day, getting uh, getting geared up for the
1: season. Thanks for having me on. I want to start by asking you about some of the changes to the garden that you've been working hard on this off season. What kind of enhancements to the game experience can Celtics fans expect this coming season and beyond?
2: Yeah, there's a lot going on actually this off season. Uh, most of it's being done by the folks over at the you know the who run the TD Garden, Amy Latimer and her team. Um, there's um, the fans can expect to come in and see on uh, on level four, which is the lower bowl, a whole new. Um, concourse so new concessions new concourse uh digital signage just really taking a building that was you know built uh you know 20 plus you know 20 years ago and and, and really uh refreshing it uh, across the board so step one is doing the concourses uh the suites were all renovated last season um legends is being completely redone So our season ticket member club uh, is being redone um it'll be just a, a much different um more, um, just, just a, a a far more, I guess, high-end experience. Uh, our Celtics, our Sun Life Celtics Courtside Club is being remodeled for those folks who sit courtside. Um, there's just a a lot going on. We're putting in a new pro shop. Um, that'll be ready probably around the holidays. The other stuff will be ready for the start of the season. Uh, we're going to double the footprint of the pro shop and, uh, and really, um, put forth, you know, a, um, a very contemporary retail experience for our fans, so we're, we're pretty excited about all that. It, it gives us, you know, in addition to the basketball, obviously something uh, something else to look forward to. Hey, Rich Larry H. Russell here. Uh, actually,
0: I'm looking forward to it. Section 323 season tickets since 2006. Uh, but you know, one thing that sort of stood out about last year is you know you've done a great job with these uh, with the game presentations. I mean, even when the team you know the team hasn't been as successful on the court, going to Celtics games is still very enjoyable. And if you, if you ask me, I still think it's, of the four majors, I think it's the best deal around. you got Red Sox games are too long. Patriots games are out there in the middle of nowhere. Uh, obviously, the Bruins have a great team. But, you know, Celtics, you know, you bang, you have a good time at the games no matter what, even if you're not seeing the best product. But talk to me about the loyalty of Celtics fans. You know, last year's attendance, I believe, was, I think, 97% capacity. I talked with someone over at Comcast. I have a good buddy that works at Comcast. He said that the Celtics had the ninth best ratings in the NBA, despite the team not being up to par, even though it was expected. Mm -hmm. And I think we should be expecting that. I think this year there should be some improvement, but we all know this team won't be contending for a championship. Do you you guys think that you're going to be getting that much loyalty out of the Celtics fans in this immediate future, even if the team continues to struggle on the court?
2: Well, I think we're we're very fortunate in that our our fans uh, are very committed, very passionate, you know, that the Celtics uh, <laughs> you know have been around since uh, 1946 and there's a um, you know a lot of uh, tradition and a lot of history uh, and just a lot of passion for the brand. You know, we always say it's it's the name of the, on the front of the uniform, not the name on the back. And so while there have been some great names on the back of the uniform that have come through here obviously, uh, people are are loyal to that name on the front of the uniform and uh, you know, we try our best to make sure that no matter what the team's performance is, that we're providing a, a compelling you know, game experience so that people, no matter what the result is, they leave the game and they say, hey, I had a blast tonight and I can't wait to get back there. But, but you can't trade on that alone. You really do need to show fans progress. And I think we're lucky in that fans understood that we were getting further away from a championship and not closer when we made the decision to trade KG and, and Paul to Brooklyn. Um, so they they understood intellectually that uh, you know building our asset base up, developing our young players, collecting draft picks, creating salary cap space, all those things are necessary to get us where we need to go to hang that banner number 18. And you know I think in a lot of markets the fans might not be that uh, tuned in, you know, to, to strategy and what it really takes to build a contender. Our fans are, so they stick with us. Having said that, you've got to show progress. You can't expect people to uh, stay with you if you're not showing them progress uh, towards that next goal, so we hope that this next season coming up, even though we have a very young team, uh, we feel like it's a, it'll be a better product than last year's team. Brad Stevens will have another year under his belt as a coach. He's He's an ultra-prepared guy, so having a season under his belt and knowing what to prepare for, I think is going to make a big difference. And I think, you know, we've added some talent and some key pieces to this roster. So I think you can expect us to make sort of the next step in our progression and the the future will start to come a little bit more into focus this season. And hopefully if if fans can see that they'll continue to uh, stay with us.
1: Now, you talked earlier about changes to the garden, but we also got news this summer about some significant changes to the Celtics brand, namely a new logo. Can you share the thought process behind the new logo design and what you hope it conveys to Celtics Nation and the NBA fans in general? Sure. Uh, you
2: know, as we, as we were talking about earlier, you know, the Celtics are a very tradition-bound uh, brand, and and that's a great thing. It's just such a, a luxury to work with a brand like the Boston Celtics. And uh, but but having said that um you want, you need to keep it fresh you know and you can't trade on your past you know we can't be trading on 2008's championship you know we have to be thinking forward we have to be thinking about how we keep our fans engaged and and a new logo is just another way to uh provide something for our fans actually something you know uh, a new mark for our fans uh hopefully they they like it uh, hopefully they might want to you know buy a hat or a, a shirt that's got the logo on it uh we'll be looking to integrate that logo into future iterations of uh, Celtics uh, uniforms, perhaps. And, and so it's, a, um, it, it's something to just sort of keep our brand fresh. You know, uh, the Shamrock is iconic, obviously. Lucky the Leprechaun is iconic. And the idea is not to replace either of those, uh, but it's to just uh, have something else out there that's neat for fans and, and gives us a little more creativity with uh, the types of things we like to do whether it's branding merchandise or putting together uh, co-branded logos with our sponsor partners, it gives us a bit more flexibility.
0: Now you obviously discussed the tradition of the Celtics and and maintaining that. Obviously the Celtics are sort of like the Yankees and Montreal Canadiens and they're real throwbacks. And obviously you wanted to maybe tinker with the tradition but you also don't want to just throw it by the wayside. And Could you just talk to us about that Celtics tradition and what it means to not just Celtics fans but NBA fans and players in general around the league?
2: Right. Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting. You know, where, where it really hits home for me what the Celtics brand and tradition means is when you travel um, outside of Boston to a, a visiting, you know, you, you're, if you're on the road, you're the visiting team or better yet, you travel to, to Europe um, and you see green everywhere. Uh, and we go to games, we play a game in Milan and, you know, 12,000 people show up and they're all wearing Celtics green, you know, <laughs> we play a game in Istanbul and the same thing happens. And our players do a community appearance, you know, uh, at a boys and girls club and 3000 people are mobbing the place. And, and it really uh, hits home that the Celtics are one of those brands that you mentioned. Basketball is a truly global game and uh, the NBA is the league globally. Um, so, um, you know, that tradition is such a valuable trait and a valuable asset to the organization. And the idea is to have a good balance of honoring that tradition and honoring, you know, the people who who paved the way, Um, you know, whether it's, you know, Bill Russell and Bob Cousy or Red Auerbach and, you know, Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish or John Havlicek or, you know, know, the list goes on and on and on. Um, And it's, you know, Making sure that we're maintaining, you know, the values that those guys established for the organization as to what we're going to be like on the court and off the court, but at the same time, you know, moving forward and making sure that our our you know business uh, stays relevant and our our organization and our brand stays relevant in a in a multimedia world, you know, where uh, people want content instantaneously and uh, And we've got to provide people different ways to consume our product through different channels, you know, particularly social channels these days. So it's been really cool to be sort of at that intersection of sports and technology with what's a traditional brand, but a brand that's translated really well into the digital world. I mean, we have 8 million Facebook followers. We've got another million and a half following us on Twitter. Um, we're sort of, I think I want to say we're number two or three in all of North American sports with regard to our social media following. So it's been cool you take a traditional brand like the Celtics, but, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's a lot of the young people who are following us online who love that brand as well. Rich Gotham, president of the
0: Boston Celtics, you mentioned about people paving the way in regards to the tradition and then what we're seeing today. I'm going to ask you more of a personal question here. You're the only team president in history not named Red Auerbach. What does that mean to you?
2: Well, you know, as, as going back to, it's the name on the front of the jersey and, and not the name on the back. You know, uh, obviously, I'm, I'm proud to any association with with Red Auerbach. I, I'm I'm proud to be a part of. But uh, the reality is, Red, you know, Red had a very different role with the organization than than the one I have. He was uh, he was everything from the uh, the coach and general manager to you know the bus driver and the laundry guy and and every job in between. Even sold tickets. You know, so. Um I have the luxury of having a lot of really good people around me to handle most of that. So my job isn't nearly as demanding as his was, but you know it's it's great to be part of something um that's um that's culturally important uh to the people of of New England um and uh having that association and being part of something that so many people care so much about. Is really what's important to me and in, in, in my job. That's what you know. Uh, what, what makes it really um, special. And uh... you know, meeting Red for uh, <laughs> the first time he came through was was a very special thrill for me. Being you know a local kid um, and looking at Red as sort of the Ben Franklin of of the NBA. Um, you know, it, it was it was it was. I'm, I'm not generally intimidated by too many people. <laughs> you know, uh, I deal with seven foot guys all the time, but uh, I was intimidated by Red. I'll tell you that I was just very. Uh, very cautious not to say something that he might think was stupid. You know? So, uh, so anyway, um, it, it's great. The whole thing is great, you know. And and Red uh, certainly laid the foundation that um, you know for you know this this organization. Um, you know, he's got his name on um, you know sixteen of those banners.
1: I love that the Ben Franklin of the uh, Celtics in the NBA. Well, before the 2008 team hung banner number 17 in the garden rafters, Celtics fans endured a 22-year drought between championships. And for most of those years, the team wasn't particularly relevant. Now that the franchise is back in a rebuilding fa- phase, fans often hear that they should expect another similar long stretch of irrelevance. And I think that creates a degree of insecurity and anxiety among the fan base. Yeah, I've long contended that the 22-year drought was extenuated by some exceptional circumstances, particularly the deaths of Len Bias and Reggie Lewis. But that it was primarily a function of an ownership group at the time that wasn't interested, let alone committed to winning, and a great deal of instability in management. That all changed in 2003. What can you tell fans about this ownership group and administration that can give them some insight and and confidence in how you're approaching the current rebuilding effort? Well,
2: I think you you captured it pretty well uh, in your synopsis. I, I think um, hopefully we've we've proven and, and shown you know since 2003 that you know we're committed to hanging banners and uh and making you know all the necessary necessary moves, the necessary investments to ensure that happens. So from the top down from Wick and Steve and Bob, um, those guys are fully committed. You know, they don't run this uh, you know, to put money in their pockets. They run this to win championships. They look at it as a public trust and and that's the goal. The name of the operating company is banner seventeen, you know, for a reason. Uh but you've also got a you know um a good solid management group here. Danny's been in place for a while. He and I've been working together for a long time. We've added Brad, who we think is, is phenomenal. So there's consistency within the management. There's a culture and a philosophy that's taken hold and, 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 uh, and a wherewithal as to what we really feel we need to do to get to that next championship. And so I think we're, you know, if you contrast to where we were in 2003, we're on a faster track right now. Um, we've, we've got, um, you know, seven first-round draft picks under 25 years old on this team. We've got uh, young veterans who are good players like Jeff Green and Rajon Rondo. We've got uh, a um, you know nine first-round picks, as many as nine in the next four years. Um, we've got cap space uh, coming up in this off-season, so we've got all the things in place that we need to do to either make a transformative move or progress along the curve. But you can bet that we're going to turn over every stone. That's what Danny and his organization do all day, every day. They think about how are we going to improve this operation. Brad and his staff, all they think about all day, every day is incrementally, how do we get better every single day. And, and that's the philosophy of the organization. So the way we look at it is irrespective of winning percentage, we're a championship organization. That's how we feel about ourselves. Uh, that's how we conduct ourselves and and that's what drives us um uh, and and so that doesn't change with the winning percentage so you know the fans might say yeah you, you don't really know where where you reach that end point of, of hoisting that next banner but i don't think it's going to take us too long to get back into the mix here, and I think, uh, as I said, this season will be a positive step along the way.
1: Yeah, that really leads me to my next question, which is there's been a lot of talk this offseason about the Celtics franchise needing to choose a direction. Does the organization think of it that way? I know Danny Ainge has done a masterful job, as you mentioned, of collecting assets, particularly draft picks. Hasn't that kind of already set the team on the course of trying to maximize the value of those assets, whether that means drafting and developing players or capitalizing on opportunities, those transformative moves you talked about to acquire an already established player should one present itself
2: right that's, that's absolutely uh the the philosophy and, and really in, in any any business um what you really want is options right um so you want the option uh to develop your young guys and move them along the curve if, if you feel like there's enough talent there that that will get you to a championship and you want to be able to pay those guys uh as they reach free agency you want to be able to make a transformative move. You want to have the assets available if that opportunity presents itself. And and you can bet based on um you know the assets we have that um when players become available, major players become available, we'll we'll be at the table uh and, and be considered as a as a viable uh place for those players to play. And and of course the cap space comes into play there as well. But all these things really add up to flexibility, flexibility to choose the right path given the assets you have. And, you know, in an ideal world, uh, all those first-round picks we have turn into, you know, excellent players, and and we can build a team similar to what the Oklahoma City Thunder have done over the years or the San Antonio Spurs, and you've got a long, sustainable stretch of success in front of you. Um, but, you know, uh, we could also do what we did back in, you know, 2007 and say that, you know, the fans have waited too long. You know, we can't ask them to wait any longer. It's been too long between championships, and we've got to make a big move now. And and then you got to be willing to part with someone like an Al Jefferson, which we did then. So uh, it's all about having the options and flexibility to pursue the the smartest course of action. And uh, uh, we're all very confident that uh, Danny has has set us up for that.
0: Well, Rich, we greatly appreciate your straightforwardness there. Although, like you, as you mentioned earlier about how the Celtics have such an intellectual fan base, I think that they are sort of echoing those sentence, those sentiments in your mind. Granted, they're not beating across their head almost at all times of the day. But I think that's what's sort of what the fans are sort of thinking in regards to this team. And that's why you see that this fan base is remaining so positive. But I want to sort of shift more to the general sort of topics around here and the NBA. It's been sort of a very tumultuous offseason around the league, as we all know, LeBron going back to Cleveland. Is this something that fans should expect as the norm and was there anything that transpired around the league this year or this summer, uh, more exclusively, that
2: caught the Celtics organization by surprise? July is maybe the busiest month of the calendar with regard to players, personnel, free agency. I, I think with the new CBA in place, um, it does give teams the best opportunity to maintain their talent, but uh, contract terms are shorter. Uh, the best players in the league are often uh, negotiating deals to give them opt-outs to provide them the flexibility to to choose whether or not they want to stay where they are or go someplace else. And, and that is all – I think it's all good for business because it, it creates intrigue as to what's going to happen every offseason. And if you look at what happened, you know, with, with LeBron moving from Miami to, to Cleveland, I think that caught almost everyone by surprise. You know, I think the the most people would have said that he'd likely stay in, in Miami – Uh, but it shook things up and, you know, but in a good way for the league. Um, and I think all these things, um, you know, the NBA has become more of a 12-month proposition than it ever was. And that's great for, you know, for relevance. And that's great for the league. It's, it's really a golden era. There are so many really good young players in our league right now. Um, you know, and, um, and, and the right kind of guys to this league are coming in prepared. They're coming in as more professional. Than they ever have. And, um, and it's good. So I think, you know, um, the, the trends at, at a macro level for, for the NBA are, are phenomenal. I mean, globally, second only to soccer as a, as a global sport. And as I mentioned earlier, the NBA is the preeminent brand. It's un, not like soccer where there are, you know, uh, major leagues all over the globe. You know, the NBA is the one major league of, of basketball globally. And, um, you've got, it's, it's a very, you know, uh, with regard to, uh, the appeal to tech-savvy consumers, it's, you know, digitally, it's the most widely consumed sport out there uh, by our fans. Um, so NBA fans are young, they're tech-savvy, they're uh, multicultural, multi, multi-ethnic, more so than the other sports. So we feel like, um, you know, there's a lot of growth in front of this league. And uh, in the, in, uh, having a summer like this, even though you're, you're right, it's it's sort of a bit... Tumultuous, uh, it's probably more tumultuous for the media than it is for, for those of us who are in it because, we, you know, we're, we're paid to, um, you know, be prepared to expect anything and, and be ready to move you know, when opportunities present themselves. So the Cleveland opportunity is, is a good one. You know, uh, obviously LeBron going there created an opportunity for us to grab, uh, you know, Tyler Zeller and another first round draft pick and, and we had to be ready to move on that um and use that trade exception that we had negotiated for in that brooklyn deal so um you know not tumultuous but fun for us but uh, but it, it's it's all good it's all it's all good for for business i think
1: now, you mentioned the Cleveland deal and the role it played in facilitating LeBron's return to Cleveland. And I think one of the worst-kept secrets in NBA history is that Kevin Love is expected to join him there uh, probably in the next couple of days. And, you know, kind of thinking about the all of the drama leading up to that deal or all the media attention leading up to that deal, it seemed like the the, the bevy of draft picks that Ainge has acquired wasn't something that was really particularly enticing to Minnesota in that case. It- is, is that a start of a, a trend where maybe the value of future draft picks is kind of changing around the league? Or was this just a case of not really lining up with a particular team's needs and priorities?
2: Well, to, to be candid, I can't speak to the Minnesota situation um, and or you know players who are under contract with another team. Um, but, but having said it, I think in any transaction – there's, you know, it's in the eye of the beholder. It really does depend on what the needs are and what the direction is of um, the, you know, acquiring team. You know, some teams might say, listen, uh, our current roster has kind of run its course, and we've had our success, but now it's time to reload for the future. In which case, um, it may be that you know draft picks and young players are, are what those teams want. Other teams may just be looking for that, you know, veteran piece to, to put them over the top or a couple of veterans. So I, I really do, do think it varies from organization to organization. I, I know that's how we look at it. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's how do we improve our team and every, every team looks at it differently, what they need at a given point in time. If you go back to what we spoke about earlier with regard to the KG deal, you know, we looked at that. We could have stayed patient for another year and continued to grow our young core. We had some talented young players on that team. Um, you know guys who have proven to be you know good n b a players, but we felt like um you know it was time for us to to do something transformative um because our fans had waited too long and um and you know for us we we needed to get that success underneath our belt so it really depends on where an organization is on on their curve um that 's really what it comes down to.
0: All right, Rich, we got to get you out of here on this. It's obviously uh, the most important question we can ask, as it is our Celtics Beat fan question of the day, which comes from Ted, who mentioned that he personally was a season ticket holder himself. To get your question asked in the future shows, log on to Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat or tweet us at Celtics underscore Beat and pitch your question. Rich, Ted wants to know, in your opinion, what fans should expect from the
2: 2014-15 Celtics on the court? Well, first of all, thank you, Ted, for being a season ticket holder and supporting the Celts. We appreciate that. Um, we don't take it for granted. Uh, you know, on the court, I think you can expect uh, things to come into more focus this season. I think uh, the nucleus of the team is is coming into focus. Last year was more of a a transformational year, kind of a, a blood transfusion. Uh, this year, you're, I think you're going to see the program start to take shape a little more. Brad's in his second year; he knows. Uh, what what he wants to do with the the roster. He's got more time to prepare. Um, and, and I, I think uh, we're going to be a tough out. Uh, you know, it's hard for me to project, um, you know, until the team gets on the court. But we, we've made some improvements, adding, uh, you know, the biggest addition we've got this year coming back is, you know, Rajon Rondo, uh, six months further away from, you know, his ACL surgery, right? So uh, I think we expect Rajon to have a great year, which is really going to help us. Uh, we expect a lot of players to take the next step in their evolution, whether it's Avery or Kelly or, or Sully. Um, we expect, uh, you know, guys like Marcus Smart to come in and make contributions. We think the additions of Evan Turner and Tyler Zeller really help our team. You know, they they plug needs that, that we've had on this team that were identified last season. So I, I think we get closer to where we want to be. Um, but until you see the the, the team on the court, it's a, it's a little bit hard to project, but I, I think we're going to be a tough out. I think last year we proved and Brad proved that his teams are going to be in every game and they're going to fight down to the end, um, and I think this year with a little more talent on the team and a little more well-rounded roster than we had last year, uh, I, think, uh, I think we're going to take some of those games that last year we lost, so I think we're going to be in every game. I think we're going to win more. Of those games at the end, uh, where we might have given up a game last year, and I, I think this team's going to be going to be competitive, so we'll have to wait and see till it gets on the court but we're you know we're optimistic about this year being a big step forward you know in our evolution um and and so uh it's important to us to really you know gauge it not just in wins and losses but also gauge it in terms of are these players developing, and you know can the roster of of guys that we have, you know, get us where we want to go. And so a big part of this season will also be, you know, evaluating that.
1: Rich Gotham, president of the Boston Celtics. Listeners can follow Rich on Twitter at rgotham. Well, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, fellas. I appreciate it and uh, appreciate the support. What would you think, Larry? Uh, some interesting stuff from Rich. I particularly liked and his description of the organization's philosophy and how it uh, is in many ways a lot more, a lot simpler and a lot more elegant uh, than a lot of what you see debated in the media about choosing a direction. Yeah, I think
0: he nailed it when he said that this organization is trying to have as many options as possible going forward. I mean, I can't stand when I hear these sort of, these archaic debates in the media or amongst even fans on the online community that say oh this team needs to do the Oklahoma City Thunder route which he actually mentioned in the interview or he needs to do or they need to do the 2007 Celtics route it's either or and that's what this team is doing and that's what any sort of fan that or, or even just general observer of the NBA in general is realizing that Danny Ainge is trying to give this team and this or this franchise many forks in the road as they can choose from when that time is you know when that time comes
1: yeah i think it's it's one of the interesting things for me in listening to kind of just the general fan commentary around personnel moves and and the offseason in particular is that there's kind of two underlying assumptions that a lot of it seems based on that i don't think really correlate very strongly with reality and one of that is that there are you know a set of moves out there uh that can take any particular franchise to whatever next step it wants to go to. And it's it's a general manager's job to just identify and execute those moves. And and that's not really the case, right? You know, opportunities are always coming and going and really there's no kind of pre programmed set of moves to get you where you want to go. It's about weighing, you know, risk and reward and and as Rich said, you know, figuring out, you know, is is this a time to keep our options open or is this a time to actually, you know, pursue a specific option and I think that you know that kind of leads to the the other fallacy is that an organization goes into its decision making process with kind of a a pre-programmed plan that it's trying to execute as opposed to kind of what Rich did a good job of describing which was really putting yourself in the best possible position so that, however, the circumstances unfold you're able to respond appropriately to that and it and it's great you know to hear him talk about how that is not just true about building a basketball team it's really true of any business and and kind of that marriage of kind of the the analytical business type approach that the administration and organization seems to be bringing toward you know this this idea of building a team which you know um, is something that that fans you know really love to talk about and get engaged with, but I don't know that that you know consistently we engage with it in the way that the, the organization thinks about it
0: you know what I love Rich and you know what I most realized here about this this interview was the, this organization the Celtics organization seems to all be on the same page you're getting the same message. From Danny Ainge when we hear him on the radio, from Wick Rosbeck when he's on the radio, and then we just heard from the president of the Boston Celtics on Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. Pretty much, they're all echoing the same thing. They're all on the same page. How many times, if you will recall, remember the Patriots during the late 1990s when they had Bobby Greer and Pete Carroll? Or even if you went back to Bill Parcells and Bob, Bob Kraft, they would, you know, you had Bob Kraft would say one thing, Parcells would say the other thing, Greer would say one thing, Carroll would say the other thing, they were feuding, They would, they would feud. These guys are all. I mean, I'm, I know that they're not programmed. I know that this is this isn't PR nonsense. I know that these guys are getting in a room and they're just saying this is our war plan and we're going to execute it to perfection. And they're all on the same page. And that's sort of what's sticking out to me in this sense. You, how about yourself?
1: Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned the Patriots because that's what, was exactly where my mind was going. Not so much to kind of the dysfunctional years that you mentioned, but more to the success that the team has had under Belichick. And and a big part of that is really being that, that consistent, singular vision about what being a winning organization is all about. And it's kind of interesting to me that actually Belichick sometimes takes a lot of grief uh, despite the team's success for, you know, the way he goes about kind of maintaining that singular vision and kind of the sometimes, you know, draconian uh, nature of, of the relationship he fosters with, with the media and between the team and the media. But, you know, I, I think what, what Rich Gotham talked about was very similar. And I think uh, the Celtics, you know, seem to be able to do it in a, in a maybe a little bit more media-friendly way than than Bill Belichick and the, and the Patriots do. But I think it's the same idea. It's saying, hey, what type of organization do we want to be and and how, how do we come together on a shared understanding of you know what it takes to become that type of organization and i loved the commentary about you're being a championship team regardless of what the record says and I think that's just so important it really goes to that vision and that culture that the team is really trying to kind of promote and maintain and and I thought that was you know when the trade was made to send KG and Pierce to to Brooklyn shortly after Doc Rivers left my biggest fear about taking a step back was that they were going to lose that that championship culture that they had built and you know I'm really excited to see that the organization and all of the decisions they've made subsequent to that have been consistent with the idea of trying to maintain that culture. And it's it's going to be difficult and it's going to continue to be difficult as, as the losses mount. But the way you deal with a situation like that is as they are doing it, making it a priority and making sure that decisions that you make are all consistent with that mindset.
0: There's no argument in my opinion that the Celtics are in good hands now even if the team struggles this year as we all expect them to do they've done a great job over this past year and a half with the rebuild and they've done a phenomenal job but it's it's funny how the NBA goes you look at Cleveland after LeBron left in the summer of 2010 and they cleaned house in their front office and they got a new coach and everything Byron Scott and all that for four years they did a piss poor job of managing that team horrendous, terrible job managing that team, terrible high draft choices. It, all it takes is one decision for LeBron to go back there, and they've built themselves a, most likely a dynasty for the next at least three to five years, if you want to call it that, a, a dynasty. The Celtics in this past year and a half, I, I think they could not have done a better job, and it's not even a year and a half now. It's, it's just a little over a year. They could not have Danny Ainge could not have done a better job in every single move he's made yet you still have fans frustrated oh it's going to be another long 20 years again and blah 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 and players don't want to play in Boston but isn't that just funny how the is this is how the NBA goes
1: yeah, absolutely, and you know it's funny. I think fans, you know, maybe need to keep a little bit of perspective that the amount of the step back that the team has had to take last year and and probably this coming year is really a function of their decision to try to extend the window of the Big Three, which I think most folks would agree. You know, while it didn't result in a in a championship, an additional championship, it did result in a lot of compelling basketball in the 2010, 2011, 2012 time frame. And so, you know, maybe they took it a year too far in in 2013 when they, you know, really cost themselves a lot of future flexibility with the the Courtney Lee and Jason Terry moves. Uh, But ultimately, I don't think anybody would begrudge that decision to try to make a couple of more deep playoff runs with the core that they had. And, you know, if you trace that even backwards, that was kind of, you know, a decision that was kind of they were they were placed into by virtue of the fact that when they did kind of make those transformative moves in 2008 it was you know with a couple of guys in Allen and and Garnett that were you know already at that point in their early 30s and so kind of all these decisions build off of each other and and I don't think you know that anybody would really argue that that bringing in Allen and and KG at the time was was a bad move Uh, I don't think anybody would really question that you know deciding to kind of you know put all your chips in the middle of the table in you know the 2010 to 2012 time frame was really a a a bad decision and you know the 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 last season and this coming season are kind of the price you have to pay for doing that as opposed to you know maybe you know having made a a little bit softer of a step back earlier in in hopes of of you know bringing in you know some more some younger players you know alongside Rondo a little bit a little bit earlier and so all these decisions kind of play into each other and I think fans you know need to you know, kind of understand that and take that into consideration but as you said the team's done a masterful job you know if a significant step back was kind of a foregone conclusion, you know, unless some crazy opportunity came out of the woodwork, then what you do in that situation is just kind of recognize that that's going to happen and not, you know, sink good money after bad uh, by trying to, you know, patch up, you know, it would have been really problematic. I think if the team had, after they traded Garnett and Pierre said, Oh, you know what? We've got to get some veterans to put around Rondo now because we don't want to, you know, take a huge step back and maybe thrown, you know, a lot of money at some, you know, maybe more established guys that were still younger in their career, but whose ceiling in terms of their ability to lead you to anything significantly, significant might've been limited, you know, a guy like Josh Smith, you know, if, if they had, you know, signed him to the type of contract that, that Detroit signed him to, you know, what would, where would that have put the team right now? So I think all of these things kind of play hand in hand. And ultimately, if, if you needed to take a step back to get where you want to go, they've done. A great job of of really kind of arming themselves for the future while they t- took that step back. Now they're in a different phase. Now they're in figuring out, as, as Rich talked about, how you move forward with those assets. And in many ways, it's similar to where the team was in 2003 or 2004. But in many ways, they kind of have a leg up just by you know the sheer number of assets they have. And honestly, the you know while we all like to grouse about the um, Gerald Wallace contract, you know they they have a lot more cap cert and flexibility you know kind of going forward while that contract isn't fun uh, they're going to have the ability to you know still have some money to spend in future off seasons and you know potentially there's the opportunity to get that contract off the books. Dre and I talked about this last week but apparently LeBron has shed some pounds with a low-carb diet what do you think how does this help him?
0: Well this first off has been a lot of speculation that he's not taking other things or putting other things into his body I'm not sure. I don't want to get in there. It's just a debate for another day. quite frankly, it's a debate not made for the airwaves, I guess. But it was interesting. I read a piece by Ken Berger on CBS Sports about uh, eight or nine months ago about how Ray Allen, after the championship in 2013, was utterly exhausted. And he completely changed his diet. He took out the Gatorades. He basically took out most sugars, which obviously sugar is in, in, in carbohydrates as well. And right off the bat, Ray Allen, who, as we all know, is built like a poop brick house, said he lost 10 pounds in like a week and a half just by the way he ate. So obviously, Ray Allen and LeBron are very close. Who knows? Did they, you know, did they, you know, coerce this and get involved with in this? I kind of think that they did. This is sort of this huge trend in America now, and I'm going to raise my hand right now. I am a diehard low carber myself, and I swear by it. And I'm not talking Atkins zero carbing, you know, nonsense and eating steak and eggs at every single meal. I'm, you know, but I'm talking about breads, sugars, sugar drinks, even excess fruit. Goodbye. And it's just like, bang, weight is off. And I'm talking, you know, just the bad weight. And I've always been most of my life. I was always did long distance running. And even when I was long distance running, I was skinny fat. As soon as I, you know, completely changed my diet. Long distance running and those diehard cardio sessions, I completely stopped. But the weight, you know, the 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 excess body fat fell off. So, do I think LeBron? Do I buy it? Yes. I went to a website. I can't remember. It might have been over a year ago where they have all these like celebrity diets and celebrity workout regimens, and they show like LeBron's diet and he would eat like a whole wheat bagel for breakfast and fruit and just like a fruit salad for lunch and. And, and all the Gatorades or Powerades, whatever he was drinking, if you add that up, that's like, God, oh my God, that's 300 plus carbs a day. And I know he's ultra active, but that's still a ton of carbs. So do I buy it? Do I think that he lost a ton of body fat by changing his diet? Uh, I think I'm absolutely – because I mean I, I do this myself and I, I, I see other people. So do I think it's going to help him? Yes, because that's only just – it greatly increases your stamina um, as soon as I did it. For my whole life, I used to do two, three hours long-distance running a day, you know, 10-mile runs and get back in, go on the treadmill, go on the exercise bike. I could never break a five-minute mile. My best mile time was always 5.17. As soon as I switched my diet, I even cut out all these ridiculous long you know, six-in-the-morning five-mile runs and, and went on the treadmill one day, 4.53. It was like, wow, what happened? So I, I think it's going to help him. I was just, yeah, he, you know he's going to stay much healthier. If joint pain is gone when you start jamming your body with carbohydrates like that. I, there's some books I strongly suggest people reading. The new one out now is Grain Brain by Dr. Perlmutter. But I, I it's going to be LeBron's going to have a huge year this year, Rich.
1: Yeah, I got to admit, I was caught a little bit surprised by it, only because it seemed out of left field. You know, when we think about LeBron, we think about his combination of, of speed and power and, and his agility and, a, and ability to move, uh, you know, for such a big man. I think at one point he was, you know, around 270, 275, and you think of that as the strength of his game. And so all of a sudden to hear, hey, he slimmed down significantly, just kind of caught me by surprise. And, you know, I have to admit uh, that my first thoughts went to, OK, is there something going on here? You maybe performance, you know, enhancing drugs, and you said that's a you know whole show in and of itself. But you know, the more you step back and think about it, and as you mentioned, there is this kind of broader trend in society right now. It's out there. You know, you see it, um, you know, in the media. You see it on Facebook, and you see you know your friends and neighbors and, and relatives kind of engaging in these diets. So you know, kind of in the broader social context, it really shouldn't be all that surprising that you know he would attempt to you know kind of do something as he's now kind of you know approaching thirty, maybe to, you know, kind of extend his career a little bit by, you know, maybe reducing some of the wear and tear on his joints that I'm sure, you know, all of that, you know, extra weight, even if it is in the form of muscle, is, is really kind of causing on, on his body. So, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I guess we'll see what it, what it means for his game. I think it wouldn't surprise me if he has more endurance. Um, you know, I don't think that was ever really a weakness of his. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see the season, what that really translates to on the court.
0: You know, this is something I think that I'd love to dedicate a whole show to. As I mentioned, the Ken Berger article earlier, he who wrote a great three-part piece. I think I'm going to tweet it out a little later, or even put it on my Facebook page. Must read, absolutely must read about teams now hiring nutritionists, and all these nutritionists are implementing high-fat, low-carb diets for athletes, and everybody thinks that all athletes. They were a little different than the average American that sits at a desk from nine to five, and the athletes are ultra-active. They need the carbs, they need the "quote-unquote" energy. And as we now know, that that's kind of BS. It's much better that when you're when you're, it's much more effective for your body to use your stored body fat for energy, because there's just far more fat cells in your body than than the, than carbohydrates. And then obviously, excess carbohydrates gets turned into stored body fat. The Lakers have really taken the lead here in doing this, and I, I think you're going to be seeing more teams in the future. So we can shift away a little bit because I think this is something we're going to be dedicating a whole show to in the future.
1: Well, it's my favorite time of the show. It's time for Around the NBA in 5. Are you ready to go, Larry?
0: As always.
1: Kevin Durant apparently has an offer on the table for $265 million to as much as $285 million from Under Armour.
0: Yeah, apparently, quote unquote, from Darren Rovell, the ball is in Nike's court. Uh, I'm not going to get into sort of all the semantics here. I mean, all we talk about is wow, these athletes, they make so much money. They make 20, Durant's getting 20 some odd million from the Thunder. We totally forget endorsements. I mean, it's just incredible. Just one company alone is going to pay Durant this money over the course of 10 years. Derek Rose, I believe, got a huge offer a few years ago, and we're totally forgetting what these guys—what else these guys—are making on the court. You know, in the age of social media, obviously these guys are under far more criticism than Magic, Larry, and Michael. But they also are greatly benefiting from this obsession that people have over these athletes and buying everything that they have, that they wear or use.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a lot of money. I wonder what that means when Kevin Durant is up for free agency potentially in a couple of years. Does that change his calculus about you know what's most important money or situation? So that should be uh, interesting to see how that uh, uh, plays out.
0: Uh, I'm not sure it's going to mean that much, but well how about this we're going to switch to this. Sale the Clippers finalized. Steve Ballmer Microsoft CEO. Rich, we well, you know you're a tech guy, you can listen to your podcast on the Beats and Eat network, Tech Life. So I'm going to ask you this: thoughts on the trend of seeing more, or more of these tech guys owning NBA teams?
1: Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. You know, um, you know, there were some comments uh, I think I heard on the Colin Cowherd show uh, earlier this week where you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, it was shipping magnates. You know, that's where the money was, and you know, the money these days is in tech. So it's not surprising that guys like Ballmer, guys like Paul Allen, guys like Mark Cuban have enough essentially disposable income that owning an nba team becomes attractive i think it also is interesting in that i think it'll continue to push kind of the analytics trend in the nba i think these guys are used to running a business i know these guys are used to running a business based on information and numbers and not you know emotional choices and i think that's a trend that you know we can expect to see just really just strengthen over the next five or ten years all right. Which player makes the leap in 2015 as a couple of guys like Blake Griffin and Goran Dragic made last season?
0: Well, believe it or not, he's still out there as a free agent, and there's some news about him that just came out. I'm going to say Greg Monroe. I think that the slight that he's gotten is really going to tick him off. He's going to improve his defensive game. He's going to become more of an all-around player. I know he's more of a dying breed as being a post player and not playing great defense and not being a rim protector. I think that's going to completely change. I think he's going to be far more complete this year. The way he's being treated out here during this offseason is just really not going to make him happy. And you're going to watch Monroe become, I think, next year one of the 20 best players in the league.
1: Well, I'm going to actually go even a little bit closer to the top. Um, You know, I know he made a big leap last year, but I think he makes an even bigger one this year and injects himself into the MVP discussion. And I'm going to go with Anthony Davis of the New Orleans Pelicans. I think he's just such a uniquely skilled player, so tremendously explosive athletically. And, you know, as amazingly versatile a player as, as LeBron is and as amazingly lethal scorer as Kevin Durant is, there's something about a guy who can really impact the game defensively close to the rim in that way in addition to being you know so versatile on the offensive end so i look for a big year uh, out of anthony davis this year
0: hey there's no bigger anthony davis fan than me i think he's going to be one of the all-time greats but i mentioned greg Monroe as being my guy to make quote-unquote the leap he's still out there on sign rich and there's been some offers do you think he ends up back in detroit
1: yeah, I think that's a likely case now on a qualifying offer. I think he plays the one year and becomes an unrestricted free agent next year. Um, you know, right now that free agent class next year looks pretty solid, but I think he'd be, you know, certainly in that five to ten range in terms of you know the the most sought after free agent. So, you know, it should be interesting. But I think we can expect to see him back in Detroit this season. And finally, Roy Hibbert on the block with Indiana. What do you think? Are they serious about moving him? Is he that undervalued now after last year's playoffs?
0: I I don't get it. I I know he had a bad postseason. I believe he even had some issues closer towards the end of the season. I mean, I think you got to take a step back, take a deep breath, and and realize that he made a huge, quote-unquote, leap. We're speaking about players making leaps. He made a huge leap last year himself. I mean, he's, he's <laughs> rich. I mean, he does some of the most important things you could do. I mean, you have teams banging down the door for these quote-unquote rim protectors. I think you got to exhale, just say, hey, maybe there was some issues chemistry-wise in the locker room. I know there were problems with Evan Turner. So, hey, he's in Boston right now. There are problems with Evan Turner, Lance Stevenson last year, Roy Hibbert as well. You gotta hope that he sort of gets back on track. The Pacers invested a lot of money in him a few years ago. He still does something that are very valuable to a team. He made big improvements. There's I can't say that there's no reason he can't get back to that level, because there's obviously reasons now. But I think it's just too big of a risk to just ship him off now. And I think that this is not this is not really nonsense, but I think they're trying to light a fire in him to get him back to the level where he was in the 2013 playoffs as well as the beginning of last year.
1: Yeah, it's hard to see them dealing him away. He's, he was such a big part of what they do, which is basically bully people inside. That was their identity. And I know they lost Paul George, which you know kind of gets them scrambling and thinking about how they might replace him. And Hibbert had the tough postseason. But I'm with you. I think that was environment more than anything. You know, I think when you've got a guy that impacts the game defensively so close to the rim, man, you, you kind of hold on to those uh, when, when you can. So, so that would really surprise me. Well, that's going to do it for Around the NBA in 5, and that's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Chuck Dietz, Astrovex, and Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow <laughs> us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat, and you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio and Facebook to keep up with the show. I'd like to thank our guest, Boston Celtics President Rich Gotham, for our staff writer Eddie Santiago, my co-host and our executive producer Larry H. Russell, I'm Rich Conti. See you next Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for another edition of Celtic Speed, exclusively on CLNS Radio.